This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor. Uh, as we begin this morning, what I want to do first of all is uh, read our passage of Scripture, have a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll dive right into the message. So the passage one more time is Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6 is what I'm speaking on this morning. So if you go there in your copy of, of the Word of God, we'll, have a, we'll take time to go to maybe a, a couple different locations in the Scriptures this morning. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, or verses 6 through 7 rather, say this. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. In the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the blessing of your word. Thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, without these things, we would be utterly lost. Uh, we just pray that you would help us as we uh, look into your word this morning, as we think about anxiety, as we think about worry. And then we also think about peace and, and thankfulness, that you would help us to, to frame all these things properly in our lives as we approach uh, our day-to-day lives, as we think about what your word commands us to do, that we would be compelled, impelled to obey it and profit from it and honor and glorify you through it. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> you may remember in chapter 4, because Pastor had preached through this, chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. And that kind of sets the little bit of the tone for the rest of the chapter, stand fast. And as we get into uh, the end of chapter uh, verses 6 and 7, you'll see that the idea of keeping your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, right, comes again. And so this is like a major important theme that Paul is writing to the Philippians here. Stand fast in the Lord, and the Word of God and the Spirit of God will keep your hearts and minds. And so uh, I, I think this is an especially relevant message in today's world with uh, a lot of the worry, anxiety. I, I, I teach uh, high schoolers, 11th and 12th graders, and uh, we, we watch some of the things that are going on in the world, pay attention to some of the studies and things that are going on, and we're seeing that anxiety, worry, fear are things that are on the rise among young people. And we always had issues with anxiety, fear, depression, those kinds of things, uh, particularly as you, as you move on in life, maybe get into middle age, you know, those things become a bigger issue for many people as they kind of tend to ponder where they're going in life, what they've accomplished, are they where they want it to be. You never really expected these things to be severe problems among the youth. Um, you, you parents are given right as sort of a shelter for some of those things. And so kids always had issues with, um, you know, what am I having for lunch today? Uh, maybe some friend issues. And not that they're not important issues, not that they're not significant, but you never expected them to be the kinds of things that they're fearing and worrying about today. But the Bible has much to say about this. Uh, the idea of do not fear comes up in the Bible more than 100 times. So that means it's something that God understands, people have issue with, and something that we need to address and God has given the Holy Spirit to help us with. So this is really important for us to understand. Um, now, some of us do a little bit better when we have visuals. This is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, I'm going to be honest. But, so I thought I'd provide for you something to visualize what is said in this passage that we just read together. So I created what seemed most natural to me, and uh, I apologize for those in the military, you, you, might, you might hate this, but it's on your notes as well. It's a flowchart. So this is, uh, again, I say it a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but if you look at the passage here, here's kind of how it breaks down. You could d develop a flowchart for this. Are you worried or anxious? If the answer is yes, what the text is saying is pray and give thanks. What will happen after you pray and give thanks to God is you will receive God's peace, and as you receive God's peace, you will also receive stability. This is like stability of mind, stability of emotion, all those things, right? You will be stable in life. You will not be dragged to and fro, back and forth, tossed like a wind, uh, like a waves in the wind. So this is important. But also, the same thing would apply if you are not worried or anxious. 
The Bible is telling all of us at all times that we need to pray and give thanks to God as a matter of habit. This is the way things always need to be. So even if things are going well in your life, pray and give thanks to God, receive God's peace, and receive God's stability. So this applies to people who are both going through difficult times, are experiencing anxious thoughts, are experiencing worry, are experiencing fear, and people who are going through good times. Now, why would both be true? Because if you are not currently experiencing worry or fear or anxiety, they're probably coming at some point soon. So the way you deal with those is you get on the front end of it, right? Biblically speaking, you do the things that God commands you to do now so that you are fully prepared when the difficult times in life do come. That's pretty much the whole message. We could probably just pray and, and <laughs> be done with it there, but there, there's a bit more to say. So we'll kind of flesh this idea out a little bit further. So if you have your little handy flow chart there, uh, are you worried uh, in your notes? Are you worried or anxious? In any case, pray and give thanks and then receive God's peace, receive stability. Now, the second flow chart here that I have, I, this is not in your notes because I don't actually want you to remember this. Uh, I want you to remember the first one. This one is a little bit more the way people in the world deal with things or sometimes even the way Christians deal with things, unfortunately. So are you worried or anxious? If the answer is no, so let's start with the no first. Most people say, whew, good, I'm going to enjoy it while it lasts. And then inevitably what happens is they have some problem that comes into their life or they have a new problem or maybe the same old problem that's been with them for a long time crops up again and they begin to worry and fear about it and it just is sort of a, a cycle, right? And so the arrow here shows that this is the cycle that people go through over and over again in life. If they are worried or anxious, then these are the 10 types of things that people in the world, and by the way, I could have made this list, extended it greatly, but I just figured, hey, what are a few things that people tend to do to deal with fear, anxiety, worry? Complain to others uh, if I just dump on somebody else, and I'm not saying dumping on somebody else is always a bad thing. God has given us um, relationships and individuals in our lives that we can share our burdens with, right? But again, this is just sort of a general approach by people in the world. Sometimes it's eat, grab a tub of ice cream, and just let it, let, it, let it slide down your throat and be, you know, just take, wash away your problems, right? This is a great problem. It could be fried chicken. It could be whatever. Movies, video games, pornography, a long vacation. I just kind of threw those all into one lump. These are sort of, again, what pastor would have referred to as uh, self-medication. Buy something really expensive. Do drugs. Blame God. Time for a change of scenery. Maybe I'll quit my job and move somewhere else. <laughs> again, the problem with that is that whenever you quit your job and move somewhere else, or whenever you just decide to sell your home and move somewhere else, you take the main problem with you. Because what's the main problem? The main problem is you. The main problem is, is sin. And, and, and even, if, even if you want to say the problems are external, it's in the world, the world is still going to be with you. You're still in the world. So this never solves the problem. It may temporarily salve, provide a salve. It may temporarily provide a band-aid that feels a little bit better for a time, but all those same problems will follow you. They know your address. Time for a new relationship. Maybe I need to uh, uh, get a boyfriend, a girlfriend, get married, whatever it is. Briefly mutter a prayer. Sometimes people will do these little foxhole prayers hoping that they work. Or it could just be lash out at others because fear and anxiety often lead to anger and frustration and then Again, there's a little bit of a temporary release, right, when you kind of lash out at other people. Of course, that does not last at all. That just ends up creating more problems, but this is what people tend to do. But notice that the difference between the two flowcharts, right? There's all these things that people do to try to solve their problems. But what is the Bible's answer? <laughs> it's actually much, much simpler, and it's pretty much a one-size-fits-all approach. So <clears throat> as we uh, move on, um, let me just read a few things here. Notice how simple our original flowchart was. It doesn't, simple does not, however, mean easy. Right? Simple and easy are not synonyms. Simple is either one step, two steps, not hard, not, not hard in terms of understanding the concept of it. Um, but easy means that it, it doesn't really take any effort or energy. God's command here is simple, but 
It's not easy. It takes energy. It takes discipline. It takes habit. You have to form habits. Anyone who's ever tried to form a new habit, you know, right? There's kind of a standard rule that applies like three weeks. I, I think it might actually be a little bit longer than three weeks for most good habits. But, but you, have to, uh, you have to really discipline yourselves and commit to do it. Um, you'll discover this the more you study God's word, by the way. Many of the commands in God's word are very simple, but they're not easy. In fact, they're actually completely impossible without the aid of the Holy Spirit. You don't want to do them. And there's nothing harder to do than something that you don't want to do. Right? Most things in life, if you really want to do it, you can take the time. You can, it's easy to discipline yourself if you want to do it. And, and so you just learn the process or you, you, you do whatever it takes and you, and you eventually figure out how to, how to accomplish it. But what's really hard is when you have no desire whatsoever to do the right thing. Then it becomes very hard, which is why, again, the sin nature compels us to do the wrong things. We need the aid of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Otherwise, you're just not going to do this. You're not going to do things the way that Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says to do them. So that's part of the point, though. Walking in faith requires you to rely upon God and obey the commands that are in his word and trust the result to God. If you don't ask for God's strength in overcoming worry and anxiety, you'll end up in the same place. You'll end up in this cycle, and it'll just keep going. And you'll eventually maybe even say to yourself, well, I guess maybe this whole Christianity thing doesn't work, or maybe God has abandoned me, or any number of other things, right? We often blame the wrong reasons as we do this. So this is man's way. This is also fairly straightforward in terms of the flow but it gets pretty complex in terms of what kinds of things people do to deal with anxiety and stress. Trying something doesn't work for a while. Try something else doesn't work for a while. Same thing over and over again. There are two major problems with this chart, and there's a couple things that I'm going to really emphasize as I, as I share from God's Word this morning. Two major problems with this. Number one, it is disobeying God's command. The command is clear in the Scripture. Be careful for nothing, which basically means do not worry. And so it disobeys a clear command of God, and number two, it is cyclical. You just end up back in the same place over and over again with either the same or new problems to worry about. Again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to emphasize this. God's solutions to most difficulties in this life are very simple, and they usually involve this formula. The formula goes like this. Don't do this thing. Instead, do this thing, right? Over and over again in the Bible. Don't do this and replace it with this because uh, most of us understand, I think, it's hard to stop doing something wrong if that's all you're doing. You're just going to leave a void or a vacuum there, right? It's hard to just stop doing the wrong thing. So, for example, it's, if you have a foul mouth, it's really hard to just stop swearing. You have to actually replace the swearing. You have to replace the negative words with positive words. You have to fill them with something. And if you spend your time being filled with good things, the right things to do, you don't have time and energy and, and focus to, to spend on the wrong things. So you have to replace. You really have to replace. Um, if the rest of what I'm going to say this morning is, is lost, I, I think I've hopefully said enough already, but I, I hopefully have some other good things to say too. Please remember this. In order to deal with stress and anxiety in a God-honoring and healthy way, you have to replace unbiblical habits with biblical ones. Don't just say, I've got to stop doing this. It doesn't work that way. I have to replace. You have to make a commitment to obey God's word, and you need to rely upon the strength that the God gives through the Holy Spirit. There is no other way. There's no plan B. None of these other things are going to work. And God only gives one command when it comes to worry and anxiety, which is the main focus of our message today. So, <clears throat> one more set of visual aids. Um, so, if we go to the next slide there, uh, this is not in your notes, but you know what these things are. If you were to categorize these things, what are they? Warnings. They are <laughs> warning signs. Top left, check engine. The most nebulous warning in the history of well, I could say like mechanics maybe. 
Um, I, used to be a, I used to be a mechanic, and we always hated that, because it basically just means you have to get out the computer and plug it in and let the computer give you one of 18,000 different codes, and then you look up the code, and then it's like, what in the world? Okay, so check engine light, um, high surf. Anyone who goes out to the beach much knows that these signs are around Hawaii. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, yield, obviously a traffic one. Biohazard, danger. The, the yellow and, and black stripes it usually indicate what? Yeah, there's like hazardous machinery nearby, and if you stand in that area, you're probably going to get smacked in the head and end up in the hospital. Um, and then warning electricity, right? So electricity is dangerous. You can't see it, usually. <laughs> if you can see it, you're in real trouble. But you usually can't see it, but it's, it's very dangerous. So these are warning signs. They tell you that you need to take action, correct? You either need to do something or you need to not do something, probably both. You need to begin thinking of worry and anxiety in your life. So when you start to feel worry and anxiety well up within you, here's how you need to think of it. It's a warning sign. It's indicating for you, you need to take action. If you just let it go, you're in danger. You're in danger of having it, in, in a sense, become a master over you, rule over your life, and that's, that can be even physically dangerous. I mean, this is really dangerous long-term stuff. People that live with anxiety and depression, uh, anxiety, worry, fear for long periods of time begin to experience what we call psychosomatic effects, right? It affects your body even. And so I, I'm not, I'm by no means am I making light of this, but I'm saying these are warning signs. When anxiety, when fear come up in your life, and they are unpleasant emotions. They are God's built-in warning signs for you to drive you back to him, to drive you back to the word of God, which gives you what you need to fix the problem. Okay, so they are warning signs. Um, we have strayed away from Jesus, or we have perhaps, not even necessarily strayed away, but, but uh, we just need to be reconnected to the vine, so to speak, reconnected to Jesus. So, that's all my introduction. Um, as we move on, I'm going to talk now a little bit about the individual commands. So there's three major parts here, and I've entitled this message, Don't Worry, Be Thankful. Um, some of you may remember the old Bobby McFerrin song from the 1980s. I always liked the song, but it always kind of rubbed me a little bit the wrong way. The, the Bobby McFerrin song is Don't Worry, Be Happy, right? Don't worry. And he goes and lists off all these things that people have to be worried about. doesn't actually give any reason why you shouldn't be worried about them why you should actually be happy. He just says, don't do it, be happy. Which would be great if it worked. And maybe you can get a little bit of temporary happiness by hearing the song and it's upbeat and it's got like this light tempo and it's fun, but that's not gonna last either, right? It's not don't worry, be happy, because as we've been talking about, I don't mean to make too much of definitions and words here, but happiness is a temporary and a fleeting thing. Um, what the text is gonna actually tell us to do is don't worry, be thankful. Don't worry, be thankful, give prayer, and the peace that God gives will guard your heart and mind. So that's how you actually deal with things in a permanent way. All right, so don't worry. Number one, don't worry is a command. So that uh, probably is a blank there somewhere. Don't worry is a command. I want to dwell on this concept a little bit. The text says, be careful for nothing. And we understand that when the, when the, when the Bible says careful here, the word careful means full of care. That's basically a, a synonym for worry or anxiety. Uh, and this is what we call in the language an imperative. And an imperative is a command, meaning it is not a suggestion. Um, we are commanded not to worry about what? Not to worry about what? Anything. Anything. Now that's pretty all-encompassing, right? And that's pretty hard. Because there's certainly things that are worthy of worry, we would think, right? Worthy of, they're big important things that happen. Um, and there are nearly infinite number of things that you could potentially be worried about. And many of them affect your whole life. Things like finances, health, safety, relationships with others, children. Right? Things that affect your children, for those that are parents, those are deeply, they can be deeply worrying things. Or even things on a more personal level, like your personal worth, like your place in life, um, uh, your purpose in life, are you fulfilling what you should be doing? These are all things that people worry about. But the Bible takes all of these things and throws them under a giant blanket command and says, don't worry about anything. 
So here's what this means for you and I. And this might sound a little bit harsh, but I'm going to be a little bit harsh here, not because I'm trying to be harsh, but just because sometimes it's really important to point out what the Bible's saying. Um, let's be 100% clear. When you and I make a habit of worrying, we are actually violating a command of Scripture. When we, when we continually worry about things over and over again and we don't address them in biblical ways, it's a violation of a command that God gives in his word. And again, I'm not trying to be harsh. Like, worries are over big things sometimes. But again, what does the scripture say? Not what do we think. Not how sensitive do we want to be. What does the scripture say? God himself is saying to you, don't worry about anything. That means if it is a violation of a command that God gives, what's the word for it? It's a sin. It's a sin to continually harbor worry and anxiety and not deal with it in biblical ways. I'm not saying it's a sin to feel that way at times. Sometimes those things come up and I say they're warning signs, right? But they should lead us to do the right thing. Um, it is a sin to continually harbor them and habitually dwell on them. So, um, I think too often, probably, we, we put sins into different categories, right? So, we tend to have the sins that we can kind of more relate to, maybe the sins that we don't relate to quite as well. We sympathize more with people who are experiencing or who, who are committing the kinds of sins that we relate to. And we might tend to be a little bit harsh with people that are, are involved in sins that we don't relate to, like we don't have an issue with that. And so we might tend to categorize sins and worry might tend to go into a category where we might tend to sympathize with it more and so we don't always say things the biblical way. So, for example, being overly harsh or being overly soft with sins. Here's an example of overly harsh. My children have a problem with anger. Uh, I'm sorry, if I have a problem with anger and I, I, I see someone else uh, lash out in anger, for example, my children, I might tend to be really on their case. And there's a little bit of hypocrisy involved in that, right? Because we know if we have a problem with anger, we see our children get lashed out with anger, and then the anger comes up again, right? It's like there might tend to be an overreaction. Maybe words are said that are not appropriate. Maybe a volume is taken that's not appropriate, that kind of thing. But we might tend to be overly harsh with some kinds of sins that we particularly dislike. So we respond in an ungodly way. Or we could be overly soft. Um, Imagine a friend is going through some struggle with something like, like let's say, a sexual sin. And maybe, maybe it's pornography. And if I myself experience that same struggle with pornography, then I might be too soft on them, maybe even to the point of overlooking it and saying, well, you know, God's grace covers it. But I'm, what I'm really doing is I'm being soft on myself, right? I'm not, I'm not actually understanding the depth of the issue because I haven't dealt with it personally in my own life. And so sins that we kind of empathize with and we don't, we don't deal with biblically are, are often the ones that we ourselves are having a bit of a difficult time with. So um, it's a reflection on the lack of conviction that we have about sin. Lack of conviction. So turning back to worry specifically though, so I, I, I kind of sidetracked there a little bit to help illustrate maybe a couple examples of, of the way we deal with sin personally. Um, we all understand that worry or anxiety is usually a result of things outside of our control. Things that happen to us, so to speak. Now, it can definitely be things that we have brought into our own lives, but it's often a result of things that happen outside of us. Because of that, we sympathize with others who have anxieties, just as we ourselves have anxieties. So we might offer physical or emotional support to them. We offer to pray. We might offer our time or our resources to help them during their time of, of uh, worry and anxiety. Uh, these are all good things. By the way, we should help others who are in need, right? We should offer our, our, our aid and our assistance. That's showing Christ-like Christ -like love. That's showing servanthood, all those things. But we must also call people to understand what the Bible teaches on issues. At some point, people need to be confronted if they have habitual worry, right? In a loving way. So you show, I think you always show love first and then you get to the, the matter at hand. But... They have to be confronted with the reality that this is, if they're a believer, a sin. Because they're not obeying the commands that are given in Scripture on how to properly deal with this. Uh, so it's disobedience towards God. For example, God has said, right, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So if somebody says, 
I, I just feel like God's not here with me all the time. I'm not saying be harsh, but you gotta come back to the scriptures themselves which say, mm, you know that's not true though. You know that God is with you at all times. There's another reason why you're experiencing the things you're experiencing. It is not that one though. It's not that God has left you. It's not that you're alone. He also says in Isaiah 41 verse 10, fear not for I am with thee. Be not dismayed for I am thy God, right? And he goes on and says a number of other important things in that same passage as well. Again, it's a command, do not fear. I am with you, I am your God. So the first thing, again, I, just to re, re, kind of re-encapsulate what we're talking about in this first main thing here, the Bible says be careful for nothing. Please remember, this is an imperative, it is a command. Not to be overly harsh, but we must recognize when God gives a command, we have to follow it. Amen. And the reason he is giving it as a command is for our benefit, correct? Is God just trying to put his thumb down on people that are already struggling? Is God just trying to turn the knife a little bit in people who are already in a lot of pain? No. The reason is the solution to the problem is very simple and you must follow it because God wants you to be healthy and whole and happy and experience joy. And as long as you keep going back to that cycle we were showing, you're never going to experience those things. And you're going to have a broken relationship with your father who can actually help you. And so we, we call people to understand the truth. That leads me to the second main thing I wanted to talk about here this morning. Prayer and thanksgiving are actions. That should be one of the blanks in your notes. Prayer and thanksgiving are actions. <sighs> yeah, I was thinking about this. You know what worry is? In many cases, it's kind of the opposite of action. Prayer and thanksgiving are things you do. Worry is something that you kind of don't do. You just think about it. You meditate on it. So imagine this. You tell your child or you tell someone uh, under your authority at work to go ahead and do something. Here, I want you to accomplish X, Y, Z or just X, one thing. If it's children, you, it might even just be it's usually just one thing. Um, you return later to see if what you have asked them to do has been accomplished only to see that it hasn't been done or it's been done halfway. Anyone ever had this experience? <laughs> okay, you know what I'm talking about. It hasn't been done or it's been done halfway. So you probably know in your head already what you would say to this kind of person and how you might say it. The question would probably come up, and it's a, your, your formula for this might be a little bit different, but why isn't this done? What were you doing instead? Right? These, <laughs> these are the questions that would come up first. What have you been doing this whole time? Um, and imagine that that person, that child, that coworker, that employee, whatever, responds to you with this. Well, I spent an awful lot of time thinking about what you asked me to do. I really meditated on it. I dwelt on it. And I came to the conclusion that probably no matter what I did, it wasn't going to be 100% good enough for you. So I just decided to sit here and worry instead. And uh, maybe eat some ice cream. So sorry, I ate the tub of ice cream. No, but they just said, I, I just decided to sit here and worry instead. How would you feel about that? My guess is you'd probably be pretty furious. You mean you didn't do anything because you said, I can't please you in any way or it's not going to be good enough, and so you just decided never to do anything. Um, you might say, respond to them, you could have at least done something or you should have done something rather than just sitting there uselessly going through scenarios in your head. By the way, as you think about this, um, I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter 25, verses 15 through 30. We're going to look at that together for just a few moments. Matthew 25. Because, believe it or not, this isn't really an example that I just kind of created on my own. This actually comes from a parable. Now, the parable itself here in Matthew chapter 25 is not specifically about worry and anxiety. It's about the kingdom. But... There is some clear, clear connections here to what we're talking about, so I thought it'd be valuable for us to read. So let's read Matthew chapter 25. We're going to start in verse 14. We'll probably just read up till about verse 30. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability and straightway took his journey. So we get the, we get the picture here delivering resources to his servants so that he can go somewhere else and he expects what he has given them to be taken care of in his absence until he returns. 
And likewise, oh, I'm sorry, and then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that received two, he also gained other two. So the one who was given five doubled his five and it turned into ten. And the one who was given two doubled his two and it turned into four. And like, uh, but, but he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of the servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained five beside, uh, beside them five talents more. His Lord said to him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Verse 24, Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there hast th that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he, that he shall have abundance. But from him which hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So again, I don't want to take the teaching of this parable too far, but I want to explain what the servant who was given the one talent said. Did you catch that? Hmm, I was worried. I was worried that when you came back, no matter what I did, you wouldn't be happy with it. I want you to think about that because it's always interesting to me to see in the Bible how God responds to people. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but he generally responds to people in accordance with their attitude towards him. So if you come to God saying, Mm, you're a tough God. You put me through a lot of hard things in life. I don't know that I can really do this. I don't know how you expect me to succeed, God, because like, you've made my life really hard. Guess what you're going to get back from the Lord? Mm. Yeah, it's going to get harder too. You're probably going to get a little bit of a hard face. But if you come to God with a humble heart, saying, Lord, I need your help. Lord, I, need, I just need, I need you to, to, to take care of everything for me. I, I can't do it at all. And you come humbly. Guess what God, guess how God responds to those people? He blesses. He takes care of all their needs. So this servant, the other two said, I, I don't know if I'm going to be good enough, but I'm going to get to work and I'm going to do what God commands me to do. And they worked and they received a reward because, by the way, who's responsible also for the, ten, the five talents doubling? Who's even in charge of that? It wasn't his ability. It was the Lord that helped him produce that. Who's in charge of the two that doubled into four? The Lord's behind all that as well. They just got busy and the Lord brought forth the increase and the Lord said, well done. Even though it's the Lord that did it all. They were just willing to do the right thing. And the one came to him and said, it's never going to be good enough. So I'm just going to bury it in the ground and here you have back what's yours. And the Lord is very angry at this. How dare you do this? If you knew that I was a hard man, <laughs> this is the irony of it, right? If you thought that I was a really hard Lord, you should have worked doubly hard. You should have really gotten busy and focused so that you could please me or that you could at least avoid my wrath, right? But you didn't. So again, th the thought here is, is sometimes people get so wrapped up in worry, worry leads to inaction. It leads to laziness. It leads to sloth. It leads to just lying around in bed. I, I, I don't mean, I'm not trying to make fun or I'm not trying to make light of difficult things that come into people's lives. But the inaction builds upon itself. It becomes cyclical. And it just takes people down a road that it becomes very hard to dig yourself out of that hole. 
Whereas if we view God as he really is, a loving God, a faithful God, and we get busy, we do what we can, then the Lord takes care of the rest. And you get peace and stability, as the scripture says. So worry is largely in action. Um, God commands us to actually do something. Now, we don't do anything for our salvation, so let's be very clear on this. We're not talking about being born again. We're talking about how we live a life that's pleasing to God and how God gives blessings back into our life. So let's be very clear about that. But as a believer, we are commanded to do many things, correct? In, order, in service to our master. So God commands us to do something, and here it's very simple. He doesn't ask you to build a city. He doesn't say you've got to become a billionaire, solve world hunger, run for political office so that you can devote your life to changing the politics of the country. None of that is anywhere in the scriptures. What he does say is much, much simpler. He says, do two simple things and do them consistently. When you are having worries, pray and give thanks to God in all things. Pray and give thanks. Aren't you glad? I don't know about you, but I'm glad God keeps it simple. Now again, it takes effort. It takes diligence. You have to set aside that prayer. You have to make it a habit, but it's very, very simple. Prayer and thanksgiving. Notice in this, this is interesting to me. So, it takes a little bit of research, maybe a little bit of meditation. Why prayer and thanksgiving together? Do you think about that when you read the passage? Pray and give thanks. Two things together. They work in tandem. So prayer and thanksgiving work in tandem. That might be a blank too. Um, Charles Spurgeon, who's a very famous preacher from more than 100 years ago, um, said, said that offering your prayers with thanksgiving could be compared to another Old Testament requirement. So I'm going to analogize this. So follow along with me. Prayer and thanksgiving can be analogized to another thing that God commanded in the Old Testament to help make it clear what it's, why it's so important. Now, you know that there were many specific requirements given in God's law, right? The law of Moses, the Old Testament law, about how offerings should be brought. So there are all these requirements, different things that they had to know about how to bring your offering and for the priest, you know, what garments to wear and when to bring what offering and, and just all these different requirements. But one particular requirement in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13 is really interesting because it mentions salt. So here's what Leviticus 2.13 says. And every oblation or every offering of thy meat shalt thou season with salt. Neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offering. With all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. Salt was required with every single offering. So now, not having done any further study, you can kind of think through that. Why, why would that be the case? Why does salt have to, it's about to be burned up on the altar, right? And in some cases, completely burned up. In other cases, sometimes we know the priests would partake in the, in the meat. But why offer salt with something that's just going to be offered as a burnt offering to the Lord anyway? Isn't that a waste? Hmm. Well, as we examine what is significant about salt, salt was very important for many reasons in the ancient world. So some of you may know this if you studied ancient world history. Salt was very important in uh, almost all ancient cultures, including the Romans. Sometimes the Romans even used it as currency. You'd always have to have salt with you because if you were able to uh, you know, kill a live animal or something and you weren't going to eat all the meat right away, you had to salt it down, right? Because that preserved it. That kept it pure. It was very important. So sometimes Roman soldiers would even be paid in salt. It was that valuable. You could actually be used as currency. Salt symbolized purity and preservation, especially the purity and eternal nature of God's covenant with Israel, which is what it mentions in Leviticus 2.13, the purity of the covenant. It's that which will, are you ready for this? Will purify and preserve the nation of in Israel in a perverse and wicked world. There's corruption going on all around you. My law will keep you pure from all this wickedness and corruption, just as salt in the meat will preserve it and keep it pure from the corruption of, of bacteria and other things. So important analogy here, right? They had to understand this. Again, when we look at the Old Testament law, it's really, really important to understand that all the things given in the law were given for analogical reasons. They were given to explain things that would come later on. And we know that Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of the Passover lamb and so on and so forth. So there's all these different things. But this one in particular, just focusing on salt, is really important. We are a permanent 
Well, actually, let me, let me go back here. Um, when animal meat was salted, it purified the meat and demonstrated that God's covenant was eternal. Jesus also says in Matthew 5.13, remember this? Believers are the salt of the earth, salt and light, right? Where we are a permanent display, we're supposed to be, a permanent display of God's faithfulness on this earth. And we are meant, we are intended to bring purity to a sinful, corrupted world. And this is why Jesus says, right? If you, who are supposed to be salt, lose your flavor. By the way, can salt actually lose its flavor? No, it, it's not. It, it is what it is. It is salt by nature. It doesn't get less salty. So it's, it's sort of an impossible analogy. He says, if you as salt lose your flavor, what, if, what am I going to salt you again with? The only thing to do with that is to cast it off to the side and not use it at all. So important analogy. In similar fashion, salt with meat. The offering is the meat. The salt is that which purifies, preserves, and you can even argue flavors and other things, right, for the meat as well. Thanksgiving must be offered with your prayers. Always. Thanksgiving with prayer. Think of them together. If somebody were to come to your house and you were to offer them a dinner and you were to offer them roast beef or whatever kind of meat you like, would you leave it unsalted? Just say, here, uh, we just didn't have any salt. Sorry about that. I mean, you wouldn't offer that, right? I mean, it'd still be nourishment, but it, it just wouldn't have the flavor. You would maybe be a little bit embarrassed to not have any seasoning whatsoever in a meal that you offered. And yet, when you think about that, again, not to be too harsh, but sometimes we come to God with our prayers asking God to do this and that and the other thing. And with no thanksgiving, it has no flavor to it. Um. <clears throat> How might your prayer life look different? Think about this. How might your prayer like life look different if you don't currently do this? If you began and you permeated each prayer session with thanksgiving to God for his many blessings, what if at the start of every prayer you began with thanking God for at least three things? Three things in your life. And you meant it. And not a formula. This is not just a formula. Okay? It, it doesn't mean that you, sit, you, you repeat the formula and you get the result. But you actually started each prayer session by saying, I know this. I must come to God with a humble heart and with a heart of thanksgiving. So, Father, I'm going to think about these things. Thank you for this. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. Thank you for, and then you just list off a number of things. Think about that. How would that change the rest of your prayer session? Right? Do that every time. Put a little bit different flavoring into it. And how do you think the Lord receives that? Mm. Sweet savor. Sweet savor to the Lord. <clears throat> we should be careful not to serve unthankful prayers to our God, just as we would never serve unsalted meat to a guest. Right? Good, good analogy to remember. One last quick thought on this idea of prayer and thankfulness. A pattern to help us learn to mingle prayer and praise can be found in a particular book of the Bible where it appears over and over again. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? Where do we see this? Prayer and praise. I heard somebody say it. The Psalms. Isn't this what you see over and over again in the Psalms? Now, you read the Psalms, and are there times when the psalmist is struggling big time? Absolutely. My enemies encompass me. The world is closing about me. I feel like I have gone down into the depths of the ocean. The one that I dipped my bread with has risen up against me. All my friends have forsaken me, and yet, what do you see the psalmist come back to? But I will praise the Lord for his many blessings. I will praise him in his temple because I know he's good, and I know he, will he has already delivered me spiritually from my sin, and he will deliver me physically at some point in the future. So the Psalms, go and read through some of the Psalms. They're all prayers to God. They're all prayers to God in song form. Um, even though the author, times is, uh, the author of, of each Psalm, and you, you see this in David uh, all the time, although he's distraught, he never fails to thank God. He never fails to offer praise to God for who he is. So very important. So moving on, the next thought. So we talked about be careful for nothing. We've talked about but with prayer and thanksgiving. 
and then we want to talk about what is the result, right? So there's a, there's a process here. So the result is peace and stability. Peace and stability is the promised result. That's the third major thing we're looking at here this morning. That's uh, probably an underlying thing as well. Peace. Where does the peace come from? Holy, it comes from Jesus. It comes from the Holy Spirit in our lives particularly because Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. It is a fruit of the Spirit according to Galatians 5.22, correct? Love, joy, peace. Okay, so peace is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Jesus describes the peace himself when he's speaking to his disciples because I want you to think about this. In John 14, 26 through 27, this is going to be, uh, John 14 is part of what we call the upper room discourse, right? It's the night before Jesus' crucifixion. So it is a time when the disciples are going to be very perplexed about, about what Jesus is telling them, but the next day, they're going to see as events unfold, they're going to be incredibly fearful. They're going to watch as Jesus is put on trial. Uh, Peter himself, a number of times, is confronted, right, especially the night before, saying, weren't you with that man? And they don't want anything to do with him because, I mean, acknowledging who Jesus is could result in death or at the very least imprisonment. That's a big deal. That's something to worry about, right? <laughs> something to be fearful of. So Jesus says to them in John 14, 26 through 27, sort of his last will and test, his last words to his disciples. Um, here's what he says. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now, they're not going to get it right away, but they'll get it later, right? They'll get it later. We know they do. Jesus promises that the peace he will give is not like any kind of peace the world might provide. In moments where those who do not know God might experience, like, for example, great fear, even terror, extended bouts of anxiety, what does God promise for those, for those who trust in him? Peace. He promises calmness, stability. This comes supernaturally from the Holy Spirit. I want to be very clear on this. It's the peace that God gives through the Holy Spirit. That means it doesn't, there's no technique that you can, you can calm yourself, you can get the Calm app on your phone, you can go to a therapist, you can get sort of these techniques that will provide temporary relief from pain, just like taking aspirin provides temporary relief from joint pain or other things that will just come back later, right? But nothing will be permanent that the world offers. Peace comes supernaturally from the Holy Spirit as it would not be normal under, uh, possible under normal human need, means. So remember this, Jesus' peace is supernatural. And uh, that leads me to my last thought this morning. The last thing our text says is that when God supernaturally gives, and remember how this happens, right? Feeling worry and anxiety, prayer and thanksgiving. Prayer and thanksgiving, followed by peace and stability. So the peace that God gives will keep or guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Oh my goodness, that is, I, I started meditating on that. What a big promise that is. I mean, that's huge. This means it's not temporary. So, there's probably a bit more depth we could go into regarding the word keep, but to, to keep it a little bit simple here, the word keep, I'll just define it for you. The word keep is a military term. It's often used in terms of, a, in, in a military context in the, in the Greek language. The metaphor is something like this. When we pray and give thanks, God will send his peace like a heavily armed soldier or perhaps an entire army that will stand and watch guard over you at all times. That army will guard your hearts, it'll guard your minds, so that no matter what the enemy might bring against you, no matter what might li life might throw at you, the worst possible circumstances, no matter what the world throws at you, you will never have to fear because immediately right there, guarding you, standing in the gap, standing in the way, is God's army. They block, they block he blocks Satan, he blocks the world. Again, it doesn't mean bad things won't happen. It means that your mind will be guarded through it all. Did bad things happen to Paul? Sure. He was thrown in jail. He spent the last part of his life pretty much rotting in jail. But what did he have? He had peace and he had stability so that he could sing 
in the worst of times. And look, I mean, that's really the best promise you can have. Anybody that promises that God will remove difficulties from your life is just lying, and that's not helpful. It's not helpful to lie to people about what God is going to do for you. He doesn't remove all problems. He gives you peace and stability through the problems. So the army, the soldier will guard over your hearts and minds so that you'll never have to live in fear. You don't have to be unstable. Um, and th this is a very beautiful thought to think through. To finish it out, though, you need the application. So think about this for you. What does it mean? If I can be so bold, your task this week really, and I thought about, you know, sometimes we can give a specific application, but this one's a little bit more broad. This is something that each of us need to think about in our own lives. Where do you need God's peace? Where do you need God's stability in your thinking and your emotions in your life? Where do you need that? Sometimes worries can paralyze us, creating slothfulness. Sometimes they can push us to overreact, to jump, so to speak, so that we do things that we should not do, waiting on the Lord. It can happen both ways. Where do you need to experience the peace and stability that God gives? So make it a point of emphasis to pray with, what's the formula? Prayer and thanksgiving. Make it a point of emphasis this week to begin with prayer and thanksgiving and trust that what God has said in his word will be true, that the Holy Spirit will give you the peace and the stability. It is important to remember, we must call to mind, that this promise is only for those who have the Holy Spirit because peace is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you do not have the Holy Spirit, you need the Holy Spirit. And the way you get the Holy Spirit is by believing in the message of the gospel, by who Jesus Christ is. He came, he died, and he rose again to save and deliver sinners, and he gives the Spirit without measure to those who are his children. And the only way you can find this peace, truly, again, the world has many techniques that it's figured out to temporarily resolve issues. Never be permanent. It is only through Christ and the Holy Spirit. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.